Today on the Button Up Podcast, we have Lee Jacobs coming to us from Matt for Men. Good afternoon, Lee. How are you? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, I've been using Matt for Men for over a year now. I'm actually, I think I'm on the same bottle that I started out with, what I unboxed a while ago. And uh, I know you have a very fascinating story I'm excited to get into. And we always like to start off with uh, where you got your start and where you grew up. Well, uh, I hope it's as fascinating as you hope it is, but uh, I grew up in the Bronx. I'm uh, from New York originally and uh, went to school there, uh, went to college in upstate New York at a small school called State University of New York at Binghamton. Um, and afterwards, I decided to go right to graduate school in Maryland, and I got my MBA in marketing. Uh, for some reason, I always knew I wanted to go into sales. My undergraduate degree was in psychology, and uh, I've always had kind of a sales personality. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, I've been told that. Um, and I got a job right after graduate school in uh, consumer products, and it was in the late 80s, and that's when uh, AIDS was kind of on the front page of everything, and I got a job selling condoms, and uh, I got a lot of experience on product sales from that job. I actually had the Brooklyn and Queens territory and I'd walk up and down the street uh, stopping in pharmacies and discussing the epidemic that was going on and uh, how condoms could help curb it somewhat and you couldn't keep them on the shelf. I mean, it was an incredible experience. I didn't know it then, but looking back because it was probably the hottest product category of the time. Um, after that, uh, I went to a number of different consumer products companies and uh, ended up at a company called Cow, which you guys probably know better as Andrew Jurgens. Uh, before I started my company, I was there for about five years, started in sales, was promoted to marketing, had to move to Cincinnati. Nothing like being a Jew from New York and moving to Cincinnati uh, <laughs> and being single. <laughs> Please, nobody write to me from Cincinnati. I had a good time there for three years. Uh, <laughs> and five years into the project, uh, it was, I think the expiration date had ended. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something on my own. The company moved me into outside sales. I moved to California. And shortly after that, they downsized. And my position was eliminated. Um, and at the time, I had just gotten married. And uh, I said to my wife, I really want to do something on my own. Um, I, I'm not a corporate guy. I never was. I was never truly happy doing that kind of stuff. Uh, it didn't help that my boss wasn't the nicest guy in the world. Uh, kind of a prick, to be honest with you. And uh, he was well known to be that in the company. And it just kind of put a sour taste in my mouth and trying to climb the corporate ladder. And I had this idea for a number of years uh, when it came to skincare. Back then, there wasn't really a huge men's skincare category. And the stuff that was out was very confusing. I, I remember walking into a Bloomingdale's and uh, I was looking for some uh, post-shave moisturizer and there was a wall of about 60 items uh, that all looked the same, that made these outrageous claims. And when I had a salesperson try to explain it to me, she couldn't uh, because she didn't know the difference between any of them. And I wanted something, I realized that I was lazy when it came to skincare. I think most men are quite honestly. Um, I wanted something that did a lot of things in one product to save time. And having said that, there really wasn't an all-in-one at the time that was out there that was truly effective. You know, some of the products did one or two things, 
but none of them really did everything that I was looking for uh, at the time. So I, I thought maybe, you know, why isn't there a product like this out there? And, um, you know, I know you guys probably hear all the time people start a company because they had a need that wasn't fulfilled in the marketplace. And that's almost become a marketing sales pitch. Uh, in this case, it was actually true. So this was back in about 2003. And uh, as I mentioned, I decided not to look for a job in a large company again. And uh, my company was born at Lascosia. And I spent the next two years developing the product. I met with formulators. And it took us two years to get it right, actually. You see, there's my product does five things in one, and it's tough to balance all the attributes out without affecting the other attributes. And uh, I realized there's a reason there weren't a lot of all-in-one products on the market. And, uh, you know, after two years, we got it right. I worked with a company in California very closely. I was probably the biggest pain in the ass they've ever had because I was in there almost every day. Uh, giving them my opinion, what can be improved, what couldn't be improved, because I wanted to make it a product, most importantly, that I would use. And it took us that long to get it right. So that's what got us started. We started with two products. It was a uh, the all-in-one lotion. And at the time, I was going to launch with one product, but my formulator, who was a great guy, had said, look, I use this shave, uh, shave gel. And... Um, you got. You should market it. It's it's really a great shave gel. And I said, David, there's a million shave gels on the market. Why would you know? Why? And he said, just try it. I tried it. I loved it. It was unlike anything on, else on the market. And then I sent samples to. Uh, I remember sending them to the Bellagio. There was a, a barber there, Luba the barber. She was from Europe, and she did straight edge uh, shaves. And she tested it. And about. Two months after I sent it to her, I went in undercover with my wife because I had never gotten one of those straight edge shaves where they put a hot towel on your face. And she did the whole shtick with the hot towel and uh, she used some creamy uh, stuff that looked like a Colgate shave, gel, uh, shave cream. And I remember my wife sitting there going, oh, my God. And I didn't know what she was saying that for. Well, Luba had cut my neck. It looked like Jack the Ripper had gotten a hold of me. Uh, and as you guys probably know, the skin in your neck is really thin. And I have real sensitive skin and I started to bleed all over the place. It was a mess. And as fate would have it, Matt from Men Shave Gel was sitting on her shelf. And I said, can we try that for the rest of the shave? And she said, I've never tried that before. Somebody sent it to me. So she said, if you'd like, I said, yeah, I'd like to because this stuff isn't working. And uh, I got, I did get one more cut. And then I knew that was a product that I wanted to market. And uh, it was a great product. And she wanted to start using it, her, her shave, uh, her shave uh, experiences, but she couldn't because they had signed a contract with a large company who was paying for their, uh, their offices. So having said that, that's what got us started. We, we went to Nordstrom uh, with the two items. The vice president of Nordstrom had heard about the product and we started speaking and he brought us in and I got my feet wet. In luck with luxury retailers. And from there, we went to Sephora and we were starting with Sephora. And I launched two or three other products, including our man powder, which is now our number two item. And that's how we got started uh, in retail and how Matt for Men kind of got launched. And I'm sorry I'm going on for, you know, 15 minutes on this, but. Uh, nah, that's what, we're, that's what we're looking for. So what, you hit Nordstrom shelves in 2005? It was about 2005, 2006, yeah. And we were there for about two and a half years. And I, you know, learned a lot of lessons 
when you start your own business, I, I think, as Brock and I have talked about once or twice before, there's nothing like experience. And uh, I'm not a big believer in consultants because a lot of the consultants that I've dealt with in other jobs and other lives have never done the actual job that they're consulting on. Uh, and I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, retail was, in this case, a good thing and a bad thing, but I took my lumps and I learned from it. And uh, after a couple of years at retail, I realized I, it was better to go direct to consumer. I think I had more control over answering questions over the quality of the sale. Um, the margins in retail, as most people know in stores, they, they take a much bigger margin uh, than I would. Uh, the, the, ups, the up pricing is incredible and they don't do a great job of getting product on the shelf and explaining it well. So that's when I made the decision that I'm going to take a chance and focus mostly online and it's paid off. Um, it's gotten me a better feel for the consumer. It's gotten a better feel for the products themselves and it allows me to be closer to, to our customers. I was going to say, like, you know, that, that transition from retail to direct to consumer, you see a lot of brands doing the opposite now starting online and then trying to get into retail. So how, how does that transition work? If your customers are finding you in stores, how did you get them to start finding you online? Well, you know what's interesting about that? It really depends on who your consumer is. I find or I feel that men, you know, I used to do these things, these brand appearances at Sephora where I would go into one of their biggest stores and they'd send out an advertisement saying, hey, the creator of Bat for Men is going to be in store. Come in. We're giving away some specials and all this stuff. And the one thing I saw was a guy and a girl would walk into Sephora. The girl would start the shop and the guy would stand in the front checking his phone, looking at sports scores. Then I realized guys aren't shopping these stores. Same with Nordstrom. I mean, more men do shop Nordstrom than Sephora. Um, but it was it was the same deal. I'm like, I'm wasting my time. The other thing about retail, which which drove me nuts, is we would be responsible for training all their salespeople on the brand. And inevitably, guys, I would go in, I'd fly up to San Francisco where Sephora was located, go to some of their biggest stores. We'd spend a day training their folks. Six weeks to eight weeks later, 75% of those people would be gone. They'd move on. They, there is no consistency in their employees. And then we'd have to retrain them and retrain them. And as you can imagine, flying up there, uh, me and a co-worker would fly up. Two of us would fly. We'd spend a couple days up there. It was incredibly expensive. We don't have 50 SKUs. We don't believe in that. We try to come out with products that are the best in each category that they compete in. We have one shave gel. We have one post-shave moisturizer. We have one anti-aging moisturizer. It's a different approach to men's skincare. I just don't think most guys want a, sh a medicine cabinet with 50 products. That's not what we do. So we, we take a lot of time before we come to market with a product. And that's why we only have 11 products now. Uh, and we only, I think that's the most we've ever had, actually. So uh, the only duplicate of an item that we make is a lip balm, and that's because some people like mint and some people don't. It's a flavor issue, but it's not a performance issue. But to answer your question, Brock, so I found that most men weren't buying their stuff. They weren't that interested. They didn't need to touch it and feel it before they tried it. Um, so I, I figured the jump to mostly on the Internet was a safe one, uh, answering how we customers find out about us. It's mostly word of mouth, to be honest with you. If somebody likes our product, they tend to tell people about it. Uh, and, you know, we'd love to get influencers as well involved because we, most of them have had, in fact, all of them, knock wood, have had good experiences with our products. 
And uh, that can't be said for some of our competitors. Yeah. And so <clears throat> with, with your online operation, then you obviously have your website where people can just buy the products directly from you and then you sell on Amazon. Did, when you transitioned, did you go right to Amazon or were you just selling through your website for a while? No, actually, when we, uh, you know, I'm a big believer you don't want your eggs in one basket. So I knew that the brick and mortar uh, model was a difficult one. And at the time, I, I, I believe it should be easy to buy men's skincare. There's, you know, if there's a barrier, most guys are not going to try to climb over it to get their skincare. So we wanted to make it as easy as possible to find. You know, Amazon certainly has its shortcomings, in my opinion. And I guess you could do a whole video on that uh, or a podcast on dealing with Amazon. But one thing they do do well is make products convenient to get. And uh, they ship them out quickly, uh, especially if you're on Prime. And uh, they've done a great job in making them readily available. So right now they're my uh, second largest customer versus my website. and that's, you know, we are also on uh, like QVC.com and so forth. But my goal with this brand specifically is not to go back into retail. I just don't, I don't see the advantage to it. Yeah. So what are the, uh, I guess, some pros and cons to Amazon for like a, maybe a younger direct-to-consumer brand who's considering Amazon versus their own website? Uh, would you recommend that for pretty much any brand? Uh, personally, it depends, and again, it depends what your goals are for the brand. But I think with any brand, Amazon is a great way to gain exposure. I mean, they're the world's largest retailer, obviously. Uh, so you want to? I think you want to be on Amazon. We've picked up a lot of customers from Amazon. Those are the pros. The cons, and I can get in trouble for saying this, but the uh, the cons are there are no cons. They're the greatest retailer. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best they're the best now uh i'm sending a copy of this to amazon <laughs> hq <laughs> i know how big this podcast is and i really just don't want to get in trouble <laughs> but to be honest with you like any retailer there are hidden costs to doing business with them uh amazon depending on which way you go to market with them you either supply the product and ship it for them and it looks like it's coming from amazon and they just basically take the order or they buy your inventory, which they do in my case, and they warehouse it. Uh, I have to sign a yearly contract with them, and there are fees to doing business with them. And every year, those fees, like everything else in life, go up. Um, it's frustrating. I, I, well, I could say it's frustrating. Most re- uh, manufacturers or suppliers or wholesalers who do business with them feel the same way. And uh, their customer service is not always the greatest. Uh, there's a language barrier sometimes, well, all the time with the people that you deal with. And, and what's frustrating for me as somebody who takes pride in what they do, and I like to stay close to my businesses, I don't even know who the buyer is at Amazon. We've been in, we've been in there with them for about eight to nine years now, and we have no idea if I wanted to speak to somebody specifically. Uh, I couldn't. It's, it's done through a website, and it's, it's a foreign customer service portal And most of the time you can't understand, there's a language difference. And especially in business, there are some nuances that are tough to explain uh, over the phone uh, to people who don't live in this country. And and that's a problem. And I'm not the only one who who feels that way. Uh, I I have a couple of peers that have have experienced the same thing. So it's, it's almost a turnkey operation with Amazon. 
I wish we had a little more control on how the products were marketed. I'll give you one example specifically, and this is something we're going through now. Uh, our products have an MSRP, uh, a suggested retail price, and they are the first ones to, to break that MSRP. Uh, and they do this for a lot of people. And it hurts brand equity. They, they can help you and they can hurt your brand equity, I guess is the best way to say it. And just uh, you had mentioned about a buyer, like in a traditional retailer, like when you're working with Nordstrom, you're you're referencing the person that would be your account manager to the Nordstrom account. And so you'd always have somebody to speak to. And, and is that one of the biggest differences with working with a company like Amazon versus some of the traditional retailers? Absolutely. And, and again, it depends on what category you're in. But in a traditional retailer, you would make an appointment for a new brand. You'd give them a call if you're lucky enough to get through their gatekeepers. And they are there are numerous gatekeepers. But if if you were fortunate enough to get in front of a buyer, uh, you would see one person who's in charge of that category. For instance, with Sephora, it was always interesting because they always had 26-year-old girls buying men's skincare. And it, it was very frustrating because, you know, I love 26-year-old women as much as the next guy, but that would be like me trying to sell pantyhose to a woman. I, I, I couldn't do it well. And Believe, believe in yourself, Lee. <laughs> And I've tried. I've tried to sell pantyhose to a woman, and it hasn't worked very well. That's why I'm selling men's skincare. But uh, it, it's it's frustrating because you want to be with somebody who can relate to the product, and sometimes in those cases they can't. So um, it can work both ways. But yeah, it. I've always found that it's better if you have a one-on-one relationship in any walk of life with somebody, and you know who you're dealing with. Uh, and sometimes that's not the case with Amazon. It's a kind of a, a colder approach to doing business. I wonder if you could uh, talk a little bit about, because we've had this conversation um, offline, like growth versus profits, because it seems like these days there's there's this business model now where companies basically try to grow as fast as possible, even if that means not being profitable or taking on a lot of investor money, uh, and then they try to sell, you know, and and that's why you see people, for example, companies, you know, losing money acquiring customers using Facebook ads or something like that, basically not not having to be profitable. Uh, because you know they would just want to grow fast, and uh, you know I, I think that you you've taken a slightly different approach. So can you share some thoughts about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I have. I mean, th- this is my this is my livelihood. This is my this was my dream. These are my products. I never went into this thinking, okay, I'm going to do this for three years, build up sales artificially, and then hope somebody notices me, and then sell the company. And, and you see that all the time now, and it's a little bit disheartening, especially. Well, some of the products that I compete against, you see a lot of that. Uh, they put a lot of crap on the market, and it hurts men's skincare the category as a whole because guys try it and they go, "This stuff doesn't work. I might as well just use my girlfriend or my wife's." Um, I, I've never taken that approach. I, I, I know Brockett, you and I had this discussion. Uh, it's not how much I sell, really. I know guys that just worry about, "Hey, I've got to sell ten million dollars this year. I don't care how I do it." Uh, it doesn't matter if the products work. I'll get people to try it once or I'll put it on the shelves at a retailer, get great distribution. I'll get a great opening order and the product just sits there and gets discontinued and it ends up at a dollar store. That's not what I do. I mean, I, I, I want a long-term relationship. Uh, I say this all the time. I just had this conversation with a, a PR company that we're looking at for another project I'm working on where they asked me, you know, how much, how much do you want to sell this product? Uh, you know, do you have to be $20 million or $10 million or $5 million? And I said, it's not how much I sell. It's how profitable I am. I personally, 
I'd rather sell a million dollars worth of product and make $500,000 than sell $100 million and make the same $500,000. It makes no sense to me. But again, a lot of people are in this to flip it and it's, it's, their business is a commodity, commodity, excuse me. My business is not a commodity. It's what I do. It's what I, it's me. So I, you know, I can't swear that two years from now, somebody may come and say, look, we think Matt Fermenta is the greatest thing in the world. We've, we've got some great resources. We'd like you to work with us in expanding it, you know, and they offered me a crap load of money. Would I consider it? Of course I would, but that's not, you know, I don't have a five-year plan or a 10-year plan to do that. Uh, I'm happy with what I do. I love my products. Uh, it, just be profitable. I, I wouldn't worry about how much you sell, especially when you're starting out. I'd worry about your profitability more so than sales. And that's some years you'll be less profitable than others. And those tend to be the early years. But the goal is you want to make a living. <clears throat> At the end of the day, you want to make a living. And, uh, you know, I've always taken a more long-term approach to it. You know, there would have been companies, Matt Ferment is, is a boutique company. We're not a large, we're not Jack Black. Uh, we're not Anthony and nor do we want to be. Uh, they've done a lot of things right. Uh, I, I just prefer our products to theirs. And that's the reason I started my company. Are you encouraged by other brands that are now like very big in the D2C space, especially in women? Like my, my wife is a big fan of Glossier and like that's the main product she uses. Do you think that that sort of trend from people wanting to go to a Glossier versus a Sephora, I mean, that seems like it might play in your favor? Yeah, I would hope so. I, you know, one of the things about skincare, people still want to touch and feel it. Uh, it's like shampoo, you know. Shampoo is all the same, okay? It's the smell and the feel of it that, that makes it different. So when you're in a store, if you go into a grocery store, for, for instance, um, you'll, you'll see people just loosening the tops and smelling the shampoo. And the one that smells the best is the one they buy. Uh, there are some product lines that lend themselves to being on shelf that need that exposure, that point of sale. And there's some that don't. Um, we're the type, you know, our policy at our company is if you buy it, you don't like it, you've got 30 days, send it back, we'll, we'll give you your money back. There's nothing to risk, and I think guys are, feel safe with that. But women shop totally differently than men, and I don't know if we have time to discuss this, but I'm starting another project that you mentioned earlier that takes a completely different tact to going to market. So it really depends on the product line and, and your consumer. Yeah, so I mean that's that's a good transition though. Is is Matt for Men is established, it's up and running. You've got products, but now you're starting to look into a whole new category in the women's space, and maybe you can give a little bit of the backstory of how you started that's, there. Absolutely, that's uh, you know it's kind of a funny story. About three years ago, we noticed that one of my products was selling really well with women. Our shave gel that I had mentioned before, and uh, my wife had come in and said, you know, we should really market this to women. Women buy completely differently than men. And when I was at Jergens. Their consumers mostly women, and the, the fact is, women do buy completely different than men. Uh, they're not as price sensitive for the most part. They're willing to try new products. Uh, they're not as brand loyal. That's that's uh, something I've also found. So what we did was, I, I challenged my wife. I said, "Look, my hands are full with men's skincare, but if you want to get involved with this, develop the product, and I will help you sell it or market it and get it to market." Well, she met with our, our, our formulators and she took our shave gel and she tweaked it and made it a little more female friendly. And with that, we started a brand called Brazilian Bear. 
And uh, rather than spending a lot of time and money on just throwing it out there in the marketplace, here's an example of how Amazon could help you. I took this item, which is on Amazon right now, Brazilian bear shave uh, syrup, and we test marketed it. We did very little marketing. I wanted to see if women would find it on their own. There's been no innovation in women shaving in a million years. Um, and all of a sudden it started to sell and it started to sell well. And it's $28 uh, a tube, which is very expensive for a women's shaving product. Most of them average about three, four bucks. And then we started, we get it, we got really good reviews, all five-star reviews and uh, new beauty magazine picked it up and did a review and, and they gave it glowing reviews as well. So at this point I'm like, well, it's selling for 28 bucks with no advertising, no support. What happens if we lowered the price and we brought it to retail? Because there has been no innovation in shave. And if you walk into a drugstore or a, a supermarket, you look at the shaving section, what you'll see in women's is basically four or $5 purple, green, and yellow shave creams that have been there for a million years, all chemicals, all kind of not great for your skin. I said, let's lower the price, but let's see what a retailer thinks. So uh, we went out, we, we were very fortunate. We, we called Kroger which has a 2,700 doors in the United States and they go into different brands, uh, labels. So in, on the West coast, it's known as Ralph's, uh, here in Arizona, it's known as fries, but they're national. And, uh, we flew out to Cincinnati, my wife and I, and we presented the item and literally, and this hasn't happened in my 30 year career. The, the buyer said, I want it. And I looked at my wife and she kind of kicked me under the table and said, did he just say that? And he's like, yeah, I'm really interested in this product. I'd like to, I'd like it. So we offered them exclusivity for a year. And uh, he said, but I need you to develop some other items around it. And I had some ideas and we came up with two other items and the items are going live and thus we're going to be in 1700 of their largest stores, uh, beginning in March. And, uh, it's a whole different sales though, because it's, there is a retailer involved. Now I have to look at a, a, what they call a 3PL, third-party logistics company. So I basically am renting a huge warehouse. We're getting involved in EDI, which is a, a data interchange, how orders are received and transmitted in invoices. It's a whole different business model. Um, so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's going to be interesting because women buy differently than men. My hope is that while we're going to be about $12.99 in the shelf, which is a lot more than everybody else's products. Women are already buying razor blades for 30 bucks. If you look at a Gillette Fusion, you know, a five pack can be 25, $30. So it's not unheard of to spend that. And there's such a difference in the quality of the product that I think women are going to see that. And uh, it's going to do well. We're real excited about it. It's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So for, if, if you're selling it retail, then do you still sell it online? Like, Say say you've you've got a new convert that found it at their grocery store. They're doing their like weekly run. Then they want to buy it online. Can they, or do they have to go back to the store? No, it would uh, certainly. We're gonna have it on a the Brazilian Bear website, uh, but we will maintain the MSRP. So I think the advantage of being at a retailer is, and and the reason we chose Kroger uh, is that most people are in grocery stores every week. Uh, you, you'll get, you know, the foot traffic alone will get people to buy the product. Um, so, you know, with a website, they first have to find your website, okay? And, and then usually, you know, it's need-driven. With a store like Kroger, 
or a grocery store in general or a Wal Walgreens or Target, people are in there. There's a lot of oh, oh my moments where they're just at the shelf making decisions at the shelf. And that's what we're hoping for. They're going to see the difference in the claims and the ingredients. We don't use any synthetic fragrances, which is a big issue now um, in women's skincare and in skincare in general. And um, we're hoping they see the difference in performance and come back to it. There will be no advantage to buying it online in this case uh, because the pricing will be the same. In fact, with shipping and so forth, there may be a disadvantage, but it will be available on Amazon. I mean, we I do believe the product should be easy to get and depending on what your preferred method of purchasing something is. But we're hoping that in this case, the brand is built uh, via brick and mortar versus uh, an online situation. Nice. Well, uh, we didn't prepare you for this, but we do a series of rapid fire questions, one or two word answers. Are you up for it? Oh, my. That's my answer. Oh, my. Go, sure. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's a nice uh, short answer. Yeah, you're practicing. <laughs> All right. Uh, boots or sneakers? Sneakers. Lifting or cardio? Uh, both. Okay. Uh, spring, summer, or fall, winter? Fall winter. Which which here is like East Coast spring summer. Yeah, it's all the same in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh morning or evening shower? Uh evening. Okay. Jeans, I've got young kids. Wait, I've got to make this answer a little longer. I've got young kids. And in the morning it's just a crapshoot whether we're gonna get it to school on time. So it's usually an afternoon to evening shower. But it is daily, more importantly. Got it. And it always involves Matt for men. Of course, of course. And now a Brazilian bear. <laughs> um, jeans, chinos, or trousers? Oh, jeans. That's, I don't even have to hear the rest. All right. And if, if, if you're a fan, uh, favorite James Bond actor? Yeah, let me First of all, there are two movie franchises I love, and James Bond is one of them. So I, I, I am an expert in this. Uh, although I did read James Bond was an alcoholic this week. There was a stock on that. Um Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery. I'm a Sean Connery guy. What's the second franchise? Rocky. I, I don't know. It's pathetic. But I, my daughter and I, I, I've always been a Rocky fan. And since she was little, Rocky, we, we really love Rocky. We were thrilled when Creed 2 just came out. As, as my next question is, do you like the new the Creed movies? I do. I, I was a little surprised. You know, I read the reviews after I saw it. I don't like to read them before I go in. I thought it was a deeper version of Rocky. I, I think the kid does a great job as Creed. Um, you know, I miss Pauly <laughs> and Mickey, but uh, I, I enjoy this. I will tell you, and I know this is going to hurt me in the long run. We got a tear in our eye during the movie. My wife got a little teared up. There's a couple <laughs> scenes in there that uh, it was it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. So did my kids. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah, it was good. I'm telling you, it was good. Good movie. All right, and actually, this is a good transition from Rocky. If if you have, if you're if you're pumping <laughs> yourself up, you got to pump yourself up for the day. You're in the shower. What song are you gonna listen to? Oh my! See, I grew up in the Bronx, so I listened to uh, a little bit of rap and R and B. Um, I don't know if there's one song in particular. Um, I. Uh, I know this is this doesn't get you pumped up. Well, oh, I like Flo Rida. I like a lot of his songs. Um, yeah. So, My House, maybe. 
but I also like, you know, at night, a little Luther Vandross, maybe before your time, boys, but uh, <laughs> big fan of Luther Vandross. Uh, and yeah, you know, you know, that's the beauty of being an older, you know, I'm in my 50s, but I've got young kids and I listen. They listen to my music. I listen to their music. They ask me about the old disco, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire and stuff. And I listen to Panic in the Disco. And, you know, I hate to sound like my dad, but the music's a lot different now than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that uh, that concludes our rapid fire session. Did a good job. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, is there anything, I mean, you got the Kroger deal, that's huge. Is there anything that you're excited about for the next six or 12 months? No, I, I have to tell you, that's been taking up. Uh, we're redoing the Matt for Mid website. I, I, I want to make it easier to shop um, and uh, get some more functionality to it. So that's going to be a new project for us. And I like to be involved in that as well. Uh, but Brazilian Bear is really the kind of on the forefront because the items are shipping in about four to six weeks. And, uh, no, I mean, things are good. I appreciate you guys, you know, reaching out and, uh, you know, I love what, what you guys do. Uh, I follow your, your, uh, YouTube channels and, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Maybe the, uh, the paid membership bonus feature would be your thoughts on TJ and Lee. We'll have to save that for another, another episode. <laughs> That's the after hours episode. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming on, Lee. <laughs> Thank you so much. John, you had to throw that. <laughs> I know. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man. And we will see you next week.